Well, today we're going to be in uh, 1 Peter, chapter 5, the final book of Peter, and his message to all of us and to all of those that were being persecuted, that we might hear his message of how we're to love each other and how we are to take our refuge in Jesus Christ. So if you'd like to follow along with me, 1 Peter 5. So I exhort the elders among you as fellow elders and witnesses of the suffering of Christ, as well as partakers in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those of your, in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you are younger. Be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that all the proper that at the proper time you may you may exalt he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kind of suffering that are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to the eternal glory of Christ will himself restore you, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Will you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just come before you this morning. We're just so grateful that we can come and worship you, Lord, that we can hear your words and uh, have your your message for our lives, Lord. Lord, your church is slowly but surely coming under attack, just like the old church was. So, Lord, we pray for your courage and your peace and your provision that we may stand strong, that we may speak out, though the world would have us be silent, to give your message of salvation, Father. So, Lord, this morning, as uh, we pray for Jackie and your anointing over him, as he brings your words to us, Father, your words that we incorporate into our lives. We pray for open hearts and open minds and an open soul that we might incorporate it. We just pray this to your precious son, Jesus. Amen. All right. <clears throat> the task has been laid out before us. Can Jackie teach one chapter? We shall see. 
Here will be my first weird request of the day. It probably won't be the last one, but uh, don't all jump up at once. (laughs) But if uh, somebody would go get me a cup of water, I would appreciate it. I know it's weird. It's not a monster, but yeah, if you don't mind. I know I am going to run out of juice in my throat, and then I'm going to start coughing, and everybody will panic and run out the back so I could use a little water. All right, so we begin... 1 Peter chapter 5 is the message here Peter writes to the leadership of the church. He lays out for us in verse 1. He says, so I exhort the elders among you. I know in a moment we're going to talk about youngers. And he's going to divide them between elders and youngers. And a lot of people like to say, well, he's talking about the older people. And then he's talking about the younger people. And and that is... True in a sense, but he's speaking to leaders. He's going to use the word for shepherd in a moment. And that word is a word that uh, we understand as those who are given the opportunity for oversight uh, over the, the body of Christ. The Bible tells us that everywhere Peter went, Paul went, they appointed elders in every church. The people who were to be in leadership. Thanks, brother. Oh, look at you. All right. Please don't write me an email about I put a cup on a cross. I don't have no place to put a cup. So forgive me. Or go ahead and write it. It's okay. I'll read it. I'll read it next week. Hopefully I don't spill it. We won't have balance. Okay. So listen to how he writes it. He writes, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. So he's describing himself, Peter, who, by the way, is the first one listed anytime the disciples are listed. So you would have a hard time saying Peter's not a preeminent leader in the church, right? So Peter, the preeminent leader in the church, as a fellow elder, he's not holding up his apostolic authority. He is saying, look, I'm an elder, I'm... I'm a leader in the church, just like you are leaders in the church. And then he describes himself this way, as a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Now, sometimes people will say, well, Peter wasn't wasn't there at the cross. We don't know where Peter was. We know Peter was there for the beating, though, right? We read about that. We read about the period when Peter um, denies the Lord. Before the sun rises, you remember, you'll deny you even know me. Three times you'll deny me before the sun rises, before the cock crows, before this day is finished. You'll deny you even know me. And so the Bible says in the Gospel of Luke, at that moment, when Peter did it the third time and he heard the cock crow, he looked, it says, Jesus turned and looked at him. When Peter says he's witness of the suffering... He is speaking out of firsthand experience. He's there. He witnessed not only the suffering of Christ as the death, burial, and resurrection, the, the suffering that Jesus took at the hands of sinful men, but he also was a witness of the suffering of watching his perhaps most preeminent disciple fail. A witness of the sufferings of Christ. And he doesn't leave it there. And also partaker of the glory which is going to be revealed. Now, this is not the transfiguration. Paul speaks, or, <coughs> holy cow. 
Maybe I'm going to need six cups. So he is speaking in terms of the idea of the future glory, which will be revealed when Christ returns. Have you been with us as we've gone through 1 Peter? You know this, 1 Peter in 1.11, it says, Inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories or the glories to follow. The glories to follow when Jesus Christ returns. Peter talks about it again, 1 Peter 4.13 he says, rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings so that you also may rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So he's talking about the glory of Christ's return. So he's saying, <clears throat> this section, I'm going to focus on leadership within the church. And there's some things I have to say to you. I want you to know I'm coming to you <clears throat> as a fellow leader, as a witness of the sufferings of Christ. In other, in other words, I've witnessed the fall of leaders, Right? And I'm a partaker of the glory which will be revealed when I see him. So this is the attitude with which Peter is coming to them. And then in verse 2, he uses the word for pastor. Shepherd the flock. Shepherd the flock. Should remind you immediately, this is Peter. Where did he hear this from? You guys remember the breakfast he had with Jesus out on the shore after Jesus rose again? Peter said, I'm going fishing. See, guys? He went fishing, and they're fishing all night, don't catch anything. That's common for me. And then as they go out and they, they see uh, someone shouting to them from the shore, have you caught any fish? And they say no. And so he says, cast your nets on the other side. You guys have heard me talk about this. And so they cast their nets on the other side. They bring in such a catch. <clears throat> the boat couldn't hold it. And John says, it's Jesus, and Peter jumps in, swims to him. And Jesus is going to restore him. Three times he's going to ask him, Peter, do you love me? And at the conclusion of each time when Peter affirms his love for the Lord, he's going to tell him, feed my sheep. The second time he says, tend, which is the same word here, which is the word for shepherd. So he's going to say, feed my sheep, shepherd my, or feed my sheep, shepherd my sheep, feed my lambs. So he's going to twice say feed, and once he's going to say shepherd. And we look at the, the 23rd Psalm, you know, the Bible lays out for us, the Lord is our shepherd. And we want to follow <clears throat> the examples that he lays out for us, but I want you to also understand that he's calling them here in first peter shepherd the flock but when jesus is restoring peter in john 21 he says to him feed my sheep shepherd my who owns a sheep he owns a sheep they don't belong to us there's no ownership in the sheep of god the sheep are his sheep his flock so the call here is to be Faithful, a faithful shepherd, shepherding the flock of God. So we look at the 23rd Psalm, and as we, as we kind of take the 23rd Psalm apart, there are four things that really leap out at the role of a shepherd, and they are these. <clears throat> Feed them, lead them, love them, protect them. 
That's the role of leadership in the church. So when we look at this section, he says to elders, I know for some of you, you're going to say, well, I'm not an elder. But you may be a leader. People are always confused about these things when it comes to church life. Let's say, for example, you sing with the worship team on Sunday morning. You may not like this, but you're now a leader. It, it matters how you portray yourself because people are watching you. They should be able to, right? Because as a leader, you are to feed and lead, love and protect. So we want our manner of life to provide that, right? This message is to leaders. Yes, does it mean the elders of the body who are appointed to leadership? For sure. But is there a broader way to look at that? There is. What about those who are, who are uh, instructing our little ones right now? You, you don't want them to follow these rules? Yeah, you do. You want them to feed, lead, love, and protect. This is the role of the shepherd. Not just the pastor. Leaders within the body of Christ. That we are providing these things faithfully. That we are faithful men and women who are portraying that reality before <clears throat> the body of Christ. He says in verse 2, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. So this is how he begins. Exercising oversight. Now he's going to define that in a moment. We'll see what does oversight mean. But exercise oversight. Oversight means to have careful watch over. To do what? To feed, lead, love, protect. Everybody following with me? So oversight is not, let me find out what you did with your checkbook. Where it may, it may end up uh, getting into some of that, I guess. But the reality is we're looking for opportunity to feed and lead how do you lead? By telling someone what they ought to do? Hey, kids, you ever heard your parents say, do what I say, <coughs> not what I do? That's not leadership. How do we lead? We are leaders by being examples. Does the Bible call us to be examples? For sure. So we want to follow the example of Christ, right? Feed, lead, love, protect. He says, Exer exercising oversight, not under compulsion, not because you got to. Exact same phrase that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, I think, when he talks about giving. When you give, you do not give under compulsion. People ask me all the time, Jackie, do you think the tithe is for today? I think the tithe is for today. But I think it's also governed by the phrase, don't give under compulsion. You notice, there's no baskets. The baskets went away with COVID. And the Lord showed us in that time when the baskets went away, we didn't need them. So they're not coming back. 
We don't need them. You want to give? Give. You don't want to give? Don't give. The scripture lays out for us here, we're to exercise oversight, right, which is what we're talking about, feeding, leading, loving, and protecting. We're to exercise that not under compulsion, but willingly. Same phrase is used in our giving. Not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. So we are to exercise that as the Lord would have us. Not for shameful gain. Uh, the Mormon church likes to use the phrase filthy lucre. Not for filthy lucre. Only they define filthy lucre as anytime anybody receives money. <laughs> That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about greed. You don't do it out of greed. You don't do it to be close to the money or to control the money or to be in some state where you can <clears throat> lord it over, as we'll see in a moment. We are to do it in a way that is uh, not looking for gain, not personal gain, not financial gain, not any kind of gain. It's not about us. Why do you feed, lead, love, and protect? It's not for you. It's about others. It's about being a servant. It's about loving the people of God, teaching the people of God, leading the people of God, protecting the people of God, as God would have you do it. He goes on to say, verse 3, not domineering. That's why I say he's going to define the oversight. What's the oversight look like? Well, it doesn't look like domineering. Jesus said, you remember <coughs> Jesus having a discussion with his disciples. Two of them come up to him and they say, Lord, when you come into your glory, we want to be on your right hand and your left hand. You guys remember the story? Now, the Bible tells us all the other disciples were mad. Why? Yeah, they want to be there. And they were like, I didn't think we could ask them that. <laughs> Here's the important part, what Jesus said afterward. Jesus said, I don't want you to lead like the Gentiles, lording it over one another. Not out of a domineering spirit, not oppressively. But I want you to be one another's servant. How do you come, how do you become great in the kingdom of God? You don't become great by domineering or demanding or standing on the precipice and declaring your greatness. You become great in the kingdom of God by humbling yourself. You become great in the kingdom of God by looking for ways to serve. You become great in the kingdom of God, not by domineering, but saying, I will live my life as an example. <clears throat> in fact, Peter goes on in verse 3, being examples to the flock. For what end? That when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. So the Bible talks about multiple crowns. This is one of them. For people who place themselves in a position of leadership, there's a particular crown. Don't get too excited. The same concept is used for those when the Bible says, let, let not many of you become teachers. Why? 
because you're held up to a higher standard. There's a standard involved. That standard's Christ, not me, not, <clears throat> not someone else. The standard is Christ, and we want to measure up to the standard of Christ. We want to be people who are shepherding faithfully, understanding that the sheep are not mine, but I have a job to do. I'm to follow my chief shepherd. He's the one to whom I will give account. And he's the one to whom you will give account. Whether you find yourselves in one position or another in the church is less relevant than the day of your reckoning before a holy God. This is not a day of salvation. Your salvation is set. You have either received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you are one of his children or you are not. But if you are, and you're moving forward in the, in the process of sanctification, and God's given you the opportunity to exercise some level of authority or leadership within the body of Christ, there will be a reckoning. Husbands, there will be a reckoning before God for how you treat your wife. Wives, there will be a reckoning before God for how you submit to your husband. People who are not in leadership, there will be a reckoning before God for how you submit to leadership. Leaders, there will be a reckoning before God for how you lead. This is what the Bible teaches. On that day of reckoning, Jesus gave us parables to describe it, didn't he? The master went away and he gave the one, one talent, gave to another, two talents, gave to another, five talents. And what is he doing? He's giving an account of what was done while he was gone, Right? Is the master away? Are we stewards of the master? We bear responsibility to the king. We do. And we want to be faithful in the responsibilities he has given us. So we understand when we look at the code of conduct that we've been talking about in Peter. <clears throat> he says, husbands, I want you to be like this. Wives, I want you to be like this. Servants, I want you to be like this, right? What's he laying out for us? It doesn't matter where your position lies within a body of Christ, you bear responsibility to the king. And we want to be faithful, no? We want to be faithful servants for our Lord God Almighty. In verse 5, he uses a phrase likewise. In the same way, you who are younger be subject to the elders. Now he's talking to everybody who's not in leadership. And typically, the reason they use the phrases elder and younger, because that's how it broke down. In our world today, that's flip-flopped. We think elders, older people, are dumb, stupid. I remember, I used to think this. And the young people have all the wisdom and flexibility and understanding. And, you know, if you are a grandparent, you have run into a parent of a three-year-old who's an expert. But you have not run into a grandparent who is. Why? Because a grandparent knows there's a lot more involved in the raising of children than the concepts you had when you were a young parent. Amen? So when we look at it, we recognize that the qualities for leadership come through wisdom. And wisdom comes through service. We have to put time in. 
And so they use these phrases. Now, whether or not, there's no line. He does not say, you're younger <coughs> if you're under 30, and you're older if you're older than 30. We all know younger and older changes, right? I often call someone a kid who you would maybe not call a kid, but he's younger than me. And in my brain, I'm not as old as I think I am. But the reality is, as the Lord lays this out, he's saying to those who are in leadership, I want you to feed, lead, love, protect. To those who are not in leadership, don't make your leaders miserable. Sometimes when we, we come to church life, people get frustrated in church. Anybody ever been frustrated in church? Come on, we're in church, you don't have to lie. We've been frustrated in church, frustrated by church decisions, frustrated by direction, frustrated by leadership not doing what we think they ought to do. There are opportunities for those things to be reconciled. The Bible tells what to do if we have ought against a brother or a sister, right? You have a problem with somebody, what are you supposed to do? <clears throat> Go to them, talk to them, get the things worked out if you can work them out, right? Be restored. It's good to be restored and follow in that attitude. But we have to understand the leadership within the church, you know that they're prayerfully seeking direction from God. Right? Now, sometimes the decisions leadership makes is not going to be something we like. Does that mean they're wrong? Little case study was done during the time of Moses. You guys heard of Moses, right? How many things did the children of Israel like that Moses did? How does the Bible describe them most often? Oh, you're, you guys know the story. So when the Lord says to the younger, hey, be subject to the elders, there's no, there's no uh, uh, malfeasance. Is that a good word? There's no evil intent in the heart of an elder because they feel like the Lord is indicating to wait <coughs> or to do something you don't like or to you know, change a direction that we're moving in. There's, there's no evil intent. There's no wickedness there. There's a desire to be submitted and committed to the call of God in his direction. Amen? And when we have problems, we can come together and talk about those. That's okay. But the role of those who are not in leadership is to be those who are willing to be led. Don't follow the example of the children of Israel who, no matter what Moses said, they seemed like they wanted to do something else. And I'm not saying Moses is a picture of the church. I'm just saying that's an example of leadership and people who didn't necessarily want to be led. Amen? So this is what Peter is laying out for us. Listen, you younger, be subject to the elders. <coughs> then he's going to focus on all of us. This is an important part to remember. Clothe yourselves, just in case you think I'm full of beans. All of you. What does all of you mean? Yeah, so you guys don't even have to go to seminary to learn that. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with what? Humility. One of the beautiful things about Jesus Christ is he was the humble king. 
born in a manger, not in the palace. What a great, beautiful example is he. Jesus rebuked evil. He did not rebuke those who were struggling. In fact, he often had a word of encouragement for them, didn't he? What was it the Pharisees used to say about him? Why are you always hanging out with these dirt, dirty people? You know, if he was holy, he wouldn't be here where the prostitutes are. If he was holy, he wouldn't be with the lepers. Obviously, those guys are all wicked. Otherwise, bad things wouldn't happen to them, right? The paralyzed man that was dropped down through the roof before Jesus, I often think of him. No lecture. Jesus just says to him, your sins are forgiven you, which freaked everybody out, right? What? Only God can forgive sins. So Jesus gave them an illustration. Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven you or rise up and walk. But so that you will know that the Son of God has power on earth to forgive sins. He looked at that man and said, rise up and walk. And he rose up and walked. To illustrate what? Jesus had power over sin. He could forgive sin. He's laying on the ground before him paralyzed. He's asking for healing. I don't remember anywhere that this man laying on the mat said to Jesus, will you forgive me? But Jesus knew his need. Didn't he? And he spoke to his need. We are to be clothed in humility. Now when those in opposition to him who had evil intent at destroying the power of the gospel or making that attempt, Jesus had sharp words for them, right? He was not afraid of sharp words. But he was humble. And he challenges us to be clothed in humility. Which is something we as Americans do not even begin to comprehend. It's like the opposite of being a good American. I'm proud to be an American. You guys know the song, right? <laughs> Where I can pull myself up by my bootstraps. I don't need nobody or nothing. Yes, that's arrogance, ladies and gentlemen. Humble would say, I am proud to be a servant of God most high. And I'm honored that he has given us this country to live in. Because I could have been born anywhere. But I was born here. He says, be clothed in humility. Why? This is going to be an important phrase we're going to catch on later. God opposes the, opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Which do you want? The opposition from God or his grace? It's not a trick question. Only one person knows. Which one? <coughs> you start to scare me a little bit. Do you want God to resist you, to reject you, or to give you grace? We want grace. 
Anybody who does not want grace does not understand grace. So if we want grace and we're following the example laid out before us of Jesus Christ, then we give what? Uh, that's the part we don't like so much. Well, Lord, I can't give them grace. They're wrong. Are you sure? There's only one area wherein we can be sure someone's right or wrong, and that's in opposition to the word of God. So we can stand on that. Yep, God's word says to do this. It's like this. If they're in agreement with that, then walk humbly before your God. Have grace for one another. God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. So therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time, who exalts you? God exalts you. You exalt yourself? Who exalts you? God. We want God to exalt. So what do I do? Jesus said, take what? The highest seat at the table? When you come to the table for dinner, you should make sure to take the most important seat. Because after all, you are the most important person here. No, what did Jesus say? Take the lowest seat. And then you may be raised up. But don't presume to take the highest seat. For example, here, humble yourselves before the Lord. Here is an act of humility. You ready? Casting all your anxieties on him. That's an act of humility. You know what is an act of pride? Not casting your anxieties on him. Do you think about it like that? Be clothed in humility. Cast your anxieties upon the Lord. Why? Because he cares for you. He wants them. He wants you to bring those things to him. Scripture tells us in Philippians chapter 2, verse 1, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy. By being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, that's unity. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others what? More significant than yourself. So let each of you not only look out to his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Right? Having that attitude of being others-centered. Well, Jackie, what does this have to do with my anxieties? Well, focusing on your anxieties, stressing out over your anxieties, is focusing on your own concerns. What are you supposed to do with those? Well, don't worry. The Bible tells us. Isn't that exciting? Philippians chapter 4, 6 and 7 is a great memory verse says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And what's the result? The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Anybody have anxiety? <coughs> all right, we have anxiety. Everybody agree? What are we supposed to do with our anxiety? We're supposed to take it to the Lord, cast it on him. 
So we sit down and we pray, right? He says, take your anxieties to the Lord. Don't be anxious, pray. Be anxious for nothing, pray about everything. So we pray, we go before the Lord with prayer and <clears throat> supplication and thanksgiving. And we make our requests known to God and the peace of God will guard our hearts. So if the peace of God is not guarding my heart, what do I need to do? Pray. Well, I prayed and I still don't have it. What do I need to do? I need to pray some more. What if I still don't have it? What do I do? Oh, you're starting to catch on. I pray. I have wrestled in my office in prayer to be released from anxiety or stress or whatever stuff. And I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. And then I stopped praying and I'm like, Lord, I still feel the same way. It was through laboring in prayer that I eventually found my release. Which means it's going to take some time from you to focus and pursue him. Rather than focus and pursue your anxiety. Usually that's what we do. Right? You know how something becomes anxious. We've been chewing on it for a while. Right? And we chewed on it some more and we chewed on it some more and then we got afraid and then we're, before we know it, we're bowing the knee to the wrong thing. Right? Don't, don't lose sight of God. You pray and then pray again and then pray again and then turn off your stuff. Turn off your phone, turn off your TV, turn off whatever you're listening to. Don't show up wherever you have to go. Be made right. Then go. You're better off that way. Because the witness you will bring in that place will be a better witness, won't it? When you're clothed with humility. When your hearts and minds are governed by the peace of God, the Lord has me in his hand. Whatever happens, the Lord has me. I do not have to be afraid. I serve a good God. I trust him. And when I struggle in that, I go before the Lord. Psalm 55, 22. Cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. I love what Paul says about this in Ephesians. He talks about this. I want to I want to say around 20, if I could be wrong, you guys can look it up later. But Paul met with the Ephesian elders, and as he gathers together with the Ephesian elders, they're saying to him, Paul, you can't go to Jerusalem. All these bad things are going to happen to you. They're going to tie you up. They're going to beat you. They prophesied over you. That road is a road that leads to anxious things. Don't go. Do you remember what Paul says in response? <coughs> Paul says, I know that these things are in front of me, yet none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, that I might run my race with joy. Yeah, I know hard times are in front of me, Paul says, but that doesn't mean that's not where God wants me to go. I have the peace of God guarding 
my heart, and my mind because I have laid those anxieties up before God. And he is my shepherd. I shall not want. I don't need anything else. I just need him. <coughs> His protection over me, for he cares for you. A lot of times I hear people use this verse in conjunction with how or why someone should or should not be an elder. First Timothy <coughs> chapter 3 talks about the qualifications of an elder, and he says in verse 5, for if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? And we put a lot of weight behind that word manage. Do you know that word is also used here in 1 Peter? Only here in 1 Peter it is translated, cast your anxiety on the Lord for he cares for So we look at the heart of an elder, someone in leadership within the church, the role of that person is, does he manage his home? In other words, does he care for them? That's the definition of the word. Not whatever things we may bring. We may put a lot of different things than what is intended there, but the scripture lays out for us, do you care? God says God cares for us, so he wants our anxieties. A good leader. He wants to have that opportunity for the people beneath him to share their concerns. Amen? Yeah, share your concerns. Let's talk about them. Let's pray about those concerns. Let's seek the Lord together for them. Because we care for you. We want to be men and women who care about one another. Look at verse 8. He says, be sober-minded. Be watchful. People ask me all the time, I don't fall for the trick. Jackie, <coughs> what do you think about drinking? I try not to think too much about it. What does the Bible say? Do not be drunk. Okay, I think about what the Bible thinks. The Bible says don't be drunk. Why shouldn't we be drunk? Because Peter declares for us, be what? Sober-minded. So people, will they lay the trap. They always start with that. What do you think about drinking? And then they go... What do you think about pot? I mean, what if everybody, everybody makes it legal? I don't think much about it. Because the Bible tells me to be what? Sober-minded. Watchful. You do whatever you can do if it makes you sober-minded and watchful. But recognize what we talked about before. There will be a reckoning. There will be a reckoning. So we want to stand before the Lord, right? And we want to stand before him because we have been men and women who were sober-minded and watchful. Why do we need to be watchful? Because your adversary is out there. Who's the adversary? The devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for something to eat. <coughs> that seems like a bad thing, right? What's it say in verse 9? Resist him. I want you to Circle, you guys need to learn to write in your Bibles. Get a pen and circle, resist him in verse 9. And then go all the way back to verse 5. 
where it says God opposes and circle the word opposes. Those are the same word. Does that help you a little bit to think about how God thinks of the proud? What is it that he tells us to do in regards to Satan? Resist him. How? Firm in the faith. Standing firm in the faith. How do we stand firm in the faith? We stand on the word of God. Is that not the example we have? How did Jesus resist the devil? What did he do? He stood firm in the faith. How did he stand firm in the faith? He quoted scripture. You remember the devil came to him in the temptation? <clears throat> Tell me if these scriptures sound familiar to you. Deuteronomy 8, 3. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread. Oh, you've heard that before, huh? Deuteronomy 6, 13. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve by his name shall you swear. It is the Lord's name that you shall fear. Only him shall you worship. Deuteronomy 6.16 You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him in Massah. Each three of those were quoted by Christ at his temptation. Each of those are from the book of Deuteronomy. Jesus st stood firm in the faith, quoting to him the word of God. How do we resist the devil? How do you resist your anxieties? Oh my gosh, everything's bad. It's all going to ruin. It's all going to fall. Everything's ruined. It's, oh, the sky is falling. The sky is falling. The sky is falling. So when we have those anxieties, and it says, cast your anxieties upon the Lord. Stand firm against the attacks of the devil. How do we do it? You go open up the word of God and you find yourself a promise. And you put that promise before your eyes. And every time that anxiety arises, you quote that promise that the Lord has given you in his word. That's a practical way that you resist the devil. It's not always the guy who pops up on your shoulder and says, you should do this. Boop. No, I don't want to do that. You guys have seen those before, right? <coughs> we want to understand that the devil wants to derail us, distract us, cause us to stumble and fall and lose our way. So how do we go to battle with him? We stand on the word of God. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. You guys know this. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. What does that mean? We all suffer with temptation. How many of us? All of us. Good. So we all suffer with temptation. It's common to man. But God is faithful. Do we know that? God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation will make a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Well, I'm telling you, your way of escape is his word. You're going to hear this over and over and over again as you study the word of God. It is written. Jesus is going to respond over and over again with the phrase, it is written. 
we need to recognize that this is the this is the the ground the foundation upon which we stand the groundwork that was laid by the apostles what did what groundwork did they lay the new testament so we have the word of god that we can sink our hooks into so that we can stand so that we can focus on the things that God's word is laying out for us. We want to be able to stand against the devil. We stand in his word. Knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by our brotherhood throughout the world. Everybody's going through it. Everybody struggles. <clears throat> Everybody has the same answer. Take the promises of God. Post them before your eyes. You repeat his words to you, not the lies that you're telling yourself in your head. You know, the lies where you say, you know, so-and-so, he, he hates me, doesn't care about me. What, did he tell you that? No, I just can tell. <laughs> and pretty soon you run that through your head so many times, what do you believe? What's God's word tell you? God's word says that the brethren love one another. Which is a better one for you to tell yourself? And then practice what the word teaches. You got to ought? Go talk to your brother. Do not come talk to me. I don't have a problem with your brother. You do. That's like pushing the nuke. We'll get the preacher to go talk to him. Don't get the preacher to go talk to him. You go talk to him. There's several steps that are supposed to happen before it's the preacher's turn, right? We want to follow those steps. We want God to be glorified and honored as we seek his face. He goes on, 1 Peter 5.10, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself Restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. There's your promise. You say, I don't have a promise I can put on my mirror. Okay, well, here it is. After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, he, God Almighty, will restore you. He, God Almighty, will confirm you. He, God Almighty, will strengthen you. And he, God Almighty will establish you. <clears throat> we want to comprehend those things. And I want you to understand, the first part we have to understand is our suffering is temporary. Even if it's your whole life. Because it's only this life. It's temporary. Paul, who suffered more than all of us have or probably will, wrote these words. I consider the suffering of this time not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. The future with Christ is so bright, I'm not worried about the suffering today. I'm going to focus on that. And then the God, God Almighty will restore you. This is a focus on your character. Through suffering, God will produce a fully restored person. That's God's promise to you. I will restore you. Next, I will confirm you. This is the idea that God will make you firm in the faith. 
I feel so weak, I cannot stand. But God says, through this, I will make you able to stand. I will confirm you. <clears throat> God Almighty will strengthen you. He will make you strong. I don't even have to look that one up. It was a hapex legamemnon. It means it's a word that's only used one time in the New Testament and there's no other places to go. It just means strengthen, make you strong. I will make you strong. And then he says, I will establish you. This is the image of security. I will make it so you shall not be moved. These, this is God's promise to you. Listen again. Look, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself <coughs> restore you, confirm you, strengthen you, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Who gets the glory for that? To God be the glory. Great things he has done. Hasn't he? So as he's laying out for us this code of conduct that Peter is calling us to, calling leadership to, calling <clears throat> those not in leadership, calling husbands and wives and fathers and children, servants, slaves, he lays out for us this, though you may suffer a while, it's God who is going to establish you, strengthen you. So we press into him. How do I press into God? I read my Bible and I pray. Not once in a while. Every day. This year for New Year's, we have ordered enough uh, through the Bible in a year, Bibles, for everyone to have one. We're going to give them away at New Year's. And we are going to learn to be students of the Word of God, reading His Word every day. And we are going to begin to be disciplined members within the body of Christ experiencing his strengthening the power of prayer as we put his word in our life and we make an effort to do so because I don't want another year like last year or the year before that so we're going to do something we haven't done yet we've fasted We've done a lot of things, but I have not ever done this. So we're going to do this. And this is something my wife has faithfully done for ever. And something that <clears throat> I attempt to do with her most mornings. And so we, we, it's a discipline, right? To learn to pour the word of God in. <clears throat> and then pray and ask God to use that word in your day. And then do it again and again and again and again and again. Don't ever stop. We don't ever want to stop. Peter writes, by Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him. I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. So stand in it. He's described it for us. The grace of God we, we need, we have in times of need. I have described to you the grace of God. Stand in it. She who is at Babylon, 
<coughs> who is likewise chosen sends you greeting. That's the church at Rome. The church in Rome, they, they would refer to it as she who is in Babylon. Some today refer to the United States that way. Babylon is always a picture of a place in rebellion against God. He says, <clears throat> this church, the church in Rome sends you greetings. So does Mark, my son. You remember last time I told you Peter wrote these epistles and a gospel? Well, this is one of the references to that. John Mark, the author of the gospel of Mark, is writing Peter's story. Most, not all, most scholars believe Mark is Peter's words, Peter's experience that is penned out by John Mark. Verse 14, greet one, one another with a kiss of love. Always the boys want to run with this one. <laughs> you can do it. I'm okay with it. Uh, there's a brother that, that uh, he, he no longer attends here. He used to. His name was George Crostev. And every time I saw him, he grabbed my head and kissed me on both cheeks. That was the kiss of love. It was a greeting. Greet one another. Be kind to one another. And may the peace to all, may peace to all of you who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. <laughs> Father God, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to study your word, to comprehend. Lord, I I pray that, uh, that we're able to walk away from the things that your word is challenging us in, Lord. And we're able to say, these are the areas, these are the things you're calling us to. We want to be examples of you. In leadership, we want to lead as Christ leads. If we're not in leadership, we want to respond to our leadership as Christ would have us respond. As husbands and wives and servants, Lord, we want to be examples of you in every aspect of our life. And then Peter concludes this, this writing by saying, this is the grace of God. So stand ye in it. So God, help us stand where you're calling us to stand. Help us be who you're calling us to be. Help us recognize the ability to do any of these things hinges on our relationship with you. First and foremost, you are able to accomplish this and all these things, Lord, by the incredible power that resides within you as our great God and Savior. And there will be a day of reckoning. There will be a moment, the scripture describes it, where we will stand before the Lord God and all the things that we've done for him he will cause to pass through the fire and that which is holy and just and true it comes through that fire purified and is the reward for the believer and that which is not will just simply burn away Lord on that day uh, I want to feel your pleasure as you look into the eyes of your servant and say, great is your reward. Because scripture also tells me that at the conclusion of that period of time, as the angels and the elders and the people are gathered around our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, in the throne room in heaven, 
spontaneous praise will erupt and people will begin praising the name of Jesus Christ and I will fall on my face and I will take anything that you have given me and I will cast it at your feet <clears throat> for you are worthy to be praised for there's nothing I possess of myself that I did not receive from you. God, make us to be faithful shepherds in leadership. Make us to be faithful followers if we're not. Make us to be the men and women you call us to be that we might stand in the grace of God. So you and your name be glorified wherever we go. In Jesus' name we